0: And welcome to the podcast of Tech EU. I am your host, Andre Degeler. In today's episode, I would like you to listen to an interview with Paddy Cosgrave, the CEO and co-founder of Web Summit. Over the past ten years, Web Summit has become one of Europe's largest tech conferences, and this year's edition officially starts today in Lisbon. Our editor Robin Walters managed to talk to Paddy to learn a bit more about how Web Summit has made it through the pandemic, about how an event company can become a software company, what to expect this year, and whether the event will break the 100,000 attendees mark in the foreseeable. Future hey, hey, this is Robin Waters from Tech.U, and I'm sitting down
1: virtually, of course, but soon no longer virtually. Paddy Cosgrave, uh, co founder and CEO of Web Summit, who I'm sure doesn't need an introduction to our audience anymore, but still, Paddy, brief introduction who are you and what do you do?
2: Yeah, I'm the CEO of Web Summit, a little tech conference that started in Ireland about a decade ago with, with about 150 people, one of whom was. You, Robin, and over the last decade, it's uh, grown up, moved to Lisbon, and we spent 2020 doing our, our events entirely virtually, like everybody else, because we couldn't meet in person. We're back in Lisbon with 40,000 people, and it's just yeah, it's great to be back. That's that's yeah. The, yeah. the elevator pitch. I can,
1: I can imagine, and it's actually this week that is back because we're airing this episode uh, on Monday, which is sort of the day it starts with the opening ceremony. I'll be there. I'm very excited about it. Uh, I've done a Few conferences uh, physically in person already, uh, but nothing the size of web summits. I'm slightly anxious and nervous, uh, along uh, alongside being very excited. So I'm sure you are as well.
2: Yeah, I think probably the, I mean, the biggest challenges this year have started six months ago. It wasn't clear whether the event could take place at all. Then, when we got the go ahead in June, there were moments in the summer where. It seemed impossible that it would even get to ten thousand people. Uh, Portugal is now the most vaccinated country uh, on earth, and we've worked very closely with their excellent health authorities, the DGS, to implement all of the, you know, rules and regulations that exist within Portugal. So the event will be a very, very different Web Summit to the past, you know, because of social distancing. We'll have a lot of space, but we're, we're not allowed as many people. So the limit is, is kind of a hard cap of 40,000. There'll be no temporary structures where there'll be um, stages because you can't have industrial scale and efficient kind of air circulation. Everybody will be wearing a mask indoors and advised to do it outdoors um, as well though it's not mandatory, and you need a vaccine a passport to enter the venue, and if you don't have that, you need to have a, a very recent kind of on-the-day PCR or uh, antigen uh, test. So yeah, it's it's kind of unbelievable. I mean, it's easy for Europeans to now travel, and it'll be fascinating, I think, to interview people from places like Singapore, where they're going back into to return Coming to Web Summit is easy, easy, but returning, they need to go into, I think, a 14 or 21-day mandatory hotel quarantine. Um, So I think there'll be some fascinating interviews with startups over the next few days that have made that kind of incredible commitment to travel to the other side of the world and suffer... That sort of a kind of a quarantine period on their own in a in a hotel room.
1: Yeah, yeah fantastic to hear. Uh, I was going to ask you what to expect in terms of a number of people. We already mentioned uh, you have a hard cap of forty thousand. That's of course uh, at the main event. Um, I'm. Slightly expecting more people to show up uh, in Lisbon, either way, uh, for all the side events and all the uh, and whatnot. But uh, yeah, what, what else can we expect? Because a hard cap of forty thousand is actually quite a lot. Your friends yeah. at Slush, I think, are capped at eight thousand, so that's already quite a, a lot less than that. Right?
2: Yeah, there's five hundred plus speakers. I think certainly the most favoured talk so far is uh, Francis uh, Hogan, the whistleblower, Facebook whistleblower. You know, she's been on the front pages of pretty much every one of the world's uh, newspapers over the last number of weeks uh, she has only to date appeared on 60 minutes and in front of US Congress and the UK Parliament. It'll be her first time on a I guess on a big stage. A lot of people are very interested to hear what she uh, has to say. I think she's part of a much wider discussion in general about the rules that that govern all of these uh, platforms uh, and technologies that's been happening anyway at Web Summit for several years. in addition to that, Probably the biggest growth area. Well, there are two. One is startups focused on climate, of which there are over 200. And you know, it's happening at a nice time in parallel to COP 26 in Glasgow, where all the politicians are meeting. The major polluters are there as well. I don't know if they're there to get a deal or try water down whatever deal uh, they do get to. And then at Web Summit, you have, I think, many of the companies that are hoping. Over the next decade, they will drive a lot of the innovation that will move us hopefully, hopefully to a more carbon-neutral uh, planet. So I find that quite interesting. And then, you know, crypto continues to to grow. On the opening night, we have the founder of SoRare, which is effectively the largest NFT platform. Something that I think was alien in concept to anybody about twelve months ago, but now suddenly, a lot of people are talking about it and. The kind of the start and the end of web summit are interesting so tim berners lee the inventor of the web will be on stage and i believe will be you know Talking about the future of the web, including the role of kind of um, decentralization of the web, continuing a theme that maybe he touched on in 2019, but it wasn't really at that point maybe in vogue. And now, all of a sudden, a lot of people are kind of talking about Web3 protocols and technologies. So, crypto continues to grow. Climate-based startups are the you know the largest level of participation ever um, at Web Summit, and then I mean you get everything else from. Autonomous driving to that's A. I don't know what Z would be. I don't know. There's 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 something there's something kind of there for um every everyone and then look at at, at night time, a lot of people are there, certainly for stuff during the day, but at night time, I mean, it's impossible. We we've given up just keeping track of all the side events, all of the dinners, all of the cocktails. I mean it's it's literally in the hundreds every single night, which is yeah, which is great. Um so that really for, adds
1: Fortunately, there's other people trying to keep track of all the side events. I know there's a lot of uh, back-channel talk about who's going where. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Um, And actually, what you touched upon was something that I was also going to ask. If you take us back sort of a decade ago when the first Web Summit, the conversation on stage, if I remember correctly, was very much just early-stage startups and the typical innovation. And, of course, the conversation has grown a lot, a lot wider and broader than that. As you touched upon, sustainability, climate tech, um, you know, decentralization, NFT, all things that you know weren't even even really a thing uh, or, or a talking point at conferences back then. How, how does that feel for you, sort of? Um, you know, from the inside, do, how do you, how do you even keep track of uh, you know what's uh, what's trending and what uh, what people want to hear about?
2: Oh, I mean, I mean, it's incredibly hard, and you you can't at scale keep everyone happy. And inevitably, I mean, in two thousand and ten, because of who some of my friends were, including some of my friends being accused of being Satoshi, we we had we we were discussing. Uh, Is Bitcoin. it you, Paddy? Come yeah. forward. Is it you? Yeah, we we you know we were discuss- we we were kind of discussing Bitcoin back then when nobody was talking about it and people nobody went to the talks and it was clearly <laughs> a bad editorial decision. Uh, and fast forward to today, I mean, literally. Every event can be accused of not talking about crypto enough. You know, look, you, you, you miss themes. Uh, it's just tech is moving so fast. It's, a, it's an inevitability. You miss themes. You emphasize things that are going out of fashion faster than you, you, you actually think. It's a constant battle. And, you know, I, personally, I think what makes Web Summit very exciting is not the companies that we, we already know uh, and that are established today, and it's great that they still come and participate on stage, even if we have really difficult conversations about some of the things that they do. What's really exciting is that there are thousands of startups that nobody's ever heard about before. A percentage of whom, at least over the you know the last uh, number of years, have gone on to some of them to become uh, incredible um, success stories. I mean, the harsh reality is most startups fail, and the vast majority of even venture-backed startups, most startups never raise any money. They just. Fail almost at the point of inception, and then most startups that raise money also fail, you know. But amidst all of that incredible effort and courage, it's, it takes a it takes a leap of faith to start anything. Uh, are companies that will undoubtedly go on to become kind of household names, and I think that remains the epicenter uh, of Web Summit. Um, I will just add that I think the biggest change I've noticed uh, over the last decade, and the hardest thing for us to deal with. Uh, in particular, this year is the number of venture capital funds is preposterous. Like the tables have completely turned where we're at capacity for all of our investor tracks or investor events or uh, investor meetings. We can't accredit any more investors. Uh, and still, there's just investors giving out on Twitter, investors giving out to me over email. There are so many investors. I think it, there's never been a better time to be an entrepreneur. Simply because there's never been a better time to raise capital. The choice is is, is sort of near um, near infinite. Uh, serious questions have to be asked about how qualified some of these investors are, but in some ways that doesn't matter to most entrepreneurs. Money is money, and they'd be happy to take it kind of um, from anybody. So we are in a frothy and unchartered times. When we were starting, you know, out well, you were starting. You started out before me. You're kind of a, a legend in the scene that has been through several cycles. I mean, I mean, there was there were about 12 notable VCs, you know, and there yeah, was right, yeah. like in Europe there was like two or three funds. I mean, that that was literally it. Now, I mean, every city, second tier city, has got 10 funds. That you know, it's just. an... It's a really interesting moment and it's for people like you to I guess write the thoughtful things about the moment that we're in. but yeah. I think there's a lot to but, be discussed
1: but this is for, from your point of view because as, as you mentioned, there's so much money flowing around uh, there's so much interest also in the European ecosystem from the US and Asia um, yep. you know so the, the, the money's flowing for sure. Uh, but from your viewpoint how, how sustainable this is this I don't, I don't want to use the word bubble, but uh, we are in frothy times they don't last forever. Uh, so how do you see this playing out from your perspective?
2: It's a very good question. I mean, I, I thought in 2016, 2017, that things were. It was already. It was already a bubble, and bubble just keeps on going. Yeah, it's a very good question. I'd certainly be somewhat apprehensive. We have a number of different tracks, and when Founders, which runs after Web Summit, which br- brings together one hundred and fifty founders of private internet companies or private tech companies, when we were doing that originally, it was all companies that were effectively Series A because they were that was kind of a rare breed and it was impressive to raise a series a from one of the 12 funds that we knew existed and today i mean it's i don't know i don't you know when you get together 150 effectively unicorns or near unicorns and decacorns i don't know if it's quite as exciting talking to an entrepreneur who's raised 500 million and it's got quite a defined business model. So we've, st- we've struggled to sort of find a place for this kind of extended um, life cycle for the early stage startups, for the startups that have raised hundreds of millions, if not billions. It's, it is radically different. I don't know how sustainable it is. I don't think anybody knows, but um, certainly for those that have been around for a long time. It just doesn't feel like it's all real, but maybe it never was all real because most startups fail anyway. and That's just going to happen this time as well. You know, I mean, thankfully, most of the people that will lose their money or can lose the money. So it's it's it maybe a little bit different to the public markets. But, um, yeah, it's an amazing time and there'll be lots of these discussions on stage. And I'm absolutely not the most thoughtful person in the room.
1: <laughs> and I'm also going to plug my own session because I do have a session on center stage uh, with Rush Sohoni from camp who's seen it all in the last 10 years of course uh, and Jan Hammer from Index Ventures who's also been around the block a few times uh, It's called European Tech is on Fire so I'm really looking forward to actually seeing what they have to say about this. Uh, also some of the questions I'm going to be asking about how sustainable this is um, all, the, all, the, even, all, the VC, all the VCs obviously
2: think the valuations are too high and all the entrepreneurs still think they're too low yeah, so But they yeah. were saying
1: the same 10 years ago yeah, 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 <laughs> that, yeah. that conversation has shifted, is just the numbers have changed quite quite dramatically yeah, uh, yeah, I would say but yeah so you've been in the news uh, with Web Summit quite a lot you've also been in the news uh, in different ways uh, yeah. with the lawsuit of course the venture funds um, I don't want to go too much into detail because that would take us than half an hour on its own we might uh, you know keep this as a topic for a future conversation uh, but what I wanted to know from you is how much of a distraction is all of that stuff to to the actual Web Summit operations
2: oh nothing at all I mean you know Web Summit the kind of core business is, is entirely unaffected it's it's uh, you know, it's a uh, a fund that we set up uh, kind of two and a half, three years ago. Um, so it has it, it has no impact on the day-to-day running uh, of the business, and it's you know it's now for the courts to kind of uh, you know decide, and uh, that process will take its course over the next um, six to twelve months, and uh, we'll see what happens at the end of it
1: yeah we'll be watching very closely from our side because it's quite a juicy story, I have to admit. but yeah, I'll also link some uh, some some articles in the show notes so people can find out for themselves uh, what's going on in terms of operations, uh, how how big is your team now and like what's the split? do you still have a lot of because I remember you you were one of the first event organizers to actually build like your own software and really have engineers and developers and yeah. data scientists. <laughs> uh, is that still the case?
2: Yeah, yeah, it's a very good question. I mean, uh, I think for for many years, I mean, I was always talking about it, but I do think for a long time, people dismissed. They're like, oh, that's the Irish guy just talking about software. It's kind of cute, but it's probably bullshit. And um, bit by bit through the pandemic, you know, we were fortunate enough that we were able to build our own platform to run all of our events online. And that, you know, look, 2020 was literally the worst year in our history, but it was a far worse year for many other people, especially large events that weren't able to to, to pivot. In our case, we could pivot, we could survive, and now we can come out of it and hopefully uh, thrive in some way. So I think yesterday we announced that our, you know, the software that we've built, it's kind of like an event operating system that runs many of the different components of, of an event because it's multiple pieces of software. We announced that our software, it will power CES, both their online edition, but most importantly, their offline or in real life uh, event in Vegas. And, you know, for many people, depending on who you ask, you know, it's close to the largest uh, trade show in the world. I mean, it's absolutely you know, peaks at about a quarter of a million people. It's pretty extraordinary and it's very complex. But they're satisfied that our, our software can scale to that complexity and uh, and that size uh, and you know, you know, if, in theory, if our software—let's see—in January, let's not, you know, you know, let's not um, get ahead of ourselves. But you know, if our software can power an event at the scale of CES, which really has few, if any, comparisons, then I think, uh, then I think our software is good enough to, you know, to power uh, many other events in a, in, a, in a in a in what is actually a huge and very fragmented uh, industry. So. We have, over a very long period, uh, become uh, you know, a software company. We, we sell software. I don't even know how to talk about it because that's not what we've done for the last 10 years. <laughs> we've just been building it. I've no, no way no, to, artic- we- to articulate. We sell software. We've built it in a very alternative way where we spent years building really kind of complex, deeply integrated software for events. And we've built the, you know, the full stack covering everything from registration to badging, to ticketing, to speaker apps, to production apps, to an online platform. Uh, And now we get, uh, we get to let others uh, begin to use that software which
1: is um which is
2: you know it's it's really exciting for us it's exciting for all the engineers that have spent so many years building this software and it's only ever being used yes. by web so much
1: yeah, yeah that, that's what i was gonna say you built it mostly for for yourself internally of course but then it's it's a knife that cuts both ways i think because if you build something that that something like ces can handle uh then of course that means you didn't build it with you know the bulk of the events uh that are happening around the world in mind because they're much smaller. Can you actually cater to their needs as well? And is the idea to build out that business in the future as well?
2: Yeah, that's a very good question. I mean, I think I think in time, I think a good example and somebody I've been quite inspired by, somebody who's who's come to web, someone that I've spent some time with, is Ed Catmull from Pixar. So Pixar actually have three kind of versions of their software. They they have their own software that is proprietary just to their uh, movies and they use it uh it's almost like the beta version it's got the latest and coolest tech and they get to use it to make their movies then they have a, a second version that is kind of like two years old that the big studios can license to, to power an- animation and then they have the third version that's almost like the the semi-pro uh version called renderman which you know it's there's a a small license fee. It's better than maybe Adobe After Effects or something like that. Um, And that's taken a long time in their case. And so in our case, you know, like Pixar and maybe some, there are a few other examples. We'll start with bigger, more complex customers which is totally not the way software is done. Software is always built with minimal viable product, and over time you begin to get to higher degrees of abstraction or c- kind of complexity. Instead, we're going to move down through the market uh, over the next um, over the next decade, and um, you know it's all new and uncharted territories. And I'm sure we'll we'll make lots of mistakes, and we've a, we've a lot to learn because we've always built software, but we've never licensed or sold that software to, to third parties. And we're just you know we're Knows the word honored that CES would um, you know would become one of our first customers. So you know, hopefully, we can pull it all off in uh, in January. Uh,
1: you mentioned this earlier, but I just want to make it clear to the audience that uh, Web Summit may be your flagship event, but it's not the only one. Uh, so can can you maybe elaborate on on the other events that you organize and maybe what, what's going to happen yeah. in the future to those uh, or even future future extensions yeah. or additions? Great,
2: great, great question. And um, we started an event in North America and an event in Asia and. You know, depending on who you listen to, I mean, people report all sorts of lovely things, but it's probably so that they can get nice interviews with our speakers. So uh, our event in in Asia is one of the, you know one of the largest kind of startup conferences in Asia, according to some. It, uh, it's the largest. That's called Rise. It takes place uh, in Hong Kong. Uh, And then in Toronto, we have an event um, called uh, Collision. Um, So they're different brands, uh, but they're run on the same underlying kind of infrastructure that powers Web Summit. In addition to that, we run lots of other kind of smaller events, again, using our software, and they can include events like Founders, which is just 150 entrepreneurs getting together and a few other uh, friends. You've been to it uh, tons of times, uh, Robin, and uh, we run an event called Venture that, I guess is the largest gathering of kind of venture capitalists in the world that happens for the two days before Web Summit. Everybody gets together. We have limited it massively in scale this year, just to two hundred and fifty VCs. So to become a, to get an investor badge at Web Summit, because there's now so many investors, you can't buy your ticket. You used to be able to. Now you have to go through an accredi- accreditation process. After your accreditation process, you have to go through another accreditation process to come to Venture. So I would like to oh. apologize to um, you know because VCs are are not asked to jump through hoops. VCs ask other people to jump through hoops. And so when you ask them to jump through multiple hoops, I think you can very easily piss off an enormous amount of people. So I'd (laughs) like to apologize for asking VCs to jump through several hoops to get to venture, but hopefully it'll be uh, worth it in the end.
1: Something something I've always meant to ask you and never did. Uh, is there a particular reason why you decided to brand the other conferences in North America and Asia differently? Because then you have to sort of, you know, build a brand uh, three times over, right? Instead of just yeah, using Microsoft yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or-
2: yeah, and we've had newspaper reviews of Collision uh, which the opening paragraph is essentially, Web Summit better watch out. It's got competition. Meet, <laughs> good <laughs> meet good collision. journalism there. Yeah, yeah meat collision in Toronto. Yeah, I mean, it's a very good question. I think we've done a lot of things just alternatively uh, and a little bit differently. Any brand expert in the world would tell you we were a little bit crazy doing it. But we felt that we could create somewhat different experiences that weaved in the uniqueness of hong kong or the uniqueness of toronto or whatever city was hosting the event and the people who are going to something a little bit different but with the same hopefully guaranteed quality of our events our events are completely imperfect it's almost impossible to control the quality of a 20-person dinner in your house uh never mind a 200-person conference or anything larger than that but we just try and broadly do our best Um, we're also going to we're creating some new regional uh, web summits around the world so our biggest growth markets over initially our biggest growth markets were of course Europe initially web summit for the first 2 years had no no non-irish attendees and in 2012 outside of our speakers some people began to show up uh, most of that growth initially came from uh, from Europe now a lot of the growth is coming from places like brazil asia north america and i think to create a truly the most global tech conference in the world, it, the, the onus is on us to go out to these markets with regional or satellite events and grow awareness of Web Summit uh, and encourage more people to make the annual pilgrimage uh, each November to to Lisbon. So that's the, the strategy behind maybe a, a Latin American Web Summit from 2023 onwards.
1: Yeah, Interesting. Um, what size do you expect Web Summit to be? Well, the main flagship event uh, Web Summit to be next year?
2: Um, That's a a very good question. I think the size of Web Summit longer term is dependent on the size of the venue. The venue in Lisbon is due to be doubled in size. And if it's doubled in size, we can quite easily expand attendees to over 100,000 and to uh, also expand the size and the number uh, of exhibitors. I think if there is, you know, we try and find an imperfect balance for the scale of the event. You're trying to have as many high quality attendees as possible. You're trying to have as many uh, high quality startups as possible. And I think over even even this year with all the restrictions, you know it's relatively hard to find. The investors is a perfect example that we're just so gated that we just can't we can't accommodate for all the investors and guarantee a high quality experience. And I think as you know as we scale, people become less forgiving of not delivering ever and not delivering a high quality experience for everyone. I think you know as conferences are in their kind of youthful phase, I think over time they will make mistakes. It's an inevitably very complex thing to run an event uh, and those mistakes can be rectified. But by the time you get to you know the scale that we're at, we sort of have to, we can't pack people in like a tin of sardines. You can't take chances with people's health and safety. Uh, and you also have to deliver ultimately uh, for the people that are paying you to, uh, to attend. So in the case of Web Summit, that's largely now a function of the size of the venue and the number of people that we're allowed to put into it. So if the venue is doubled by, I think, 2023, we can get past 100,000. Uh, and before that, I think next year we'll still, we'll, we'll basically be gated at 70,000 people.
1: Amazing. I wanted to ask, uh, actually, I asked earlier about the size of the team today. And I, I also, I was wondering if you had to scale down the team last year because of the pandemic and all that, because I don't actually know.
2: So in March we made two decisions. One that we would shift all of our events online for 2020, which was a relatively easy decision. The second decision we made, um, there was a lot of panic, very understandably within Web Summit because many events that we would look to as being, you know, inspirational or world class, like South by Southwest or Mobile World Congress, started letting go. Huge numbers of their team, like like most of their employees were being let go. Um, so I thought the pandemic would last probably for three months. So I made a commitment to everybody in the company that we would let nobody go. You know, I, I have to say there were some sleepless nights in April where I wondered where you know which would go, w- w- which would happen first: would Web Summit itself fail, and by dint I kept my promise. But everybody would be let go, or or you know might we might we actually sneak through it? And it was an incredibly tough year. We kept everyone. Towards the latter half of the year, we started to to hire people as our software really seemed to uh, work online. You know, we came out of the pandemic employing more people than we went um, into the pandemic. But I'm not going to lie that there weren't there. Were, you know, it wasn't a glorious. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't glorious all the way. Um, there were definitely moments where I went to bed wondering, you know, wondering if Web Summit w- would actually get through uh, get through the pandemic. So in the end, I think we were incredibly fortunate and very lucky that we built software if we hadn't spent years building software before the pandemic there is no doubt in my mind that we would have ended up in the same position as almost every other event organizer and had to shed at least half of the team reduced down to one two day weeks i mean you you know so many people in this space it it was a terrible terrible time
1: i was actually going to ask you because you also know a lot of event organizers yourself and you you of course talk to them all the time uh, and you follow the industry uh, because you have to uh, from a competitive and Else, Lance. But so, wh- what do you, if you look back now, because we're almost two years in, right? Uh, if you look back now at the event industry, has it has it changed like a, to a point of no, no return? Has it changed dramatically or will everything just sort of bounce back?
2: It's a very good question. I think the music industry and the sports industry are indicative of the return of live events. It would seem, at least in the short term, that the demand for live events is above the pre-pandemic levels. But this might be a pendulum effect or the release of an elastic band. Everybody just wants to meet everybody again. They want to go to music festivals. They want to go to business conferences. I think Web Summit is a bad example to generalize from. And the reason is simply this. Our demographic skews massively younger because of the nature of most of our attendees. They're not all young and starting companies, but most of them are young and starting companies. If you go to a Mobile World Congress or a World Economic Forum, the average age jumps to maybe fifty something, or in the case of Davos, sixty something. In our case, it's about mid 30 you know, thirty-five to forty is sort of the the kind of the you know the aggregate or middle median age. So, I don't know. I think some events will take a longer time to get back. It's unclear what events will never come back, but I think I think I think we're going to see. Casualties over the course of this year and uh, and next year. Very sadly, there have been dramatic changes. From my understanding, South by Southwest, for example, had to sell find a find a buyer to pull them through. Uh, they've been bought by Penske. I, d- I don't know what the, the you know the consequences of that. A lot of it, a lot has to play out. I think over the next twelve months. And um, I maybe don't have my ear to the ground quite so much uh, as you. Uh, I, I'm hopeful everybody makes it through because. Event organizers, um, we don't, you know, I, I, I use my watch as a good example. So if you make watches, you can really only own or use one watch unless you're that super niche watch collector. So watch companies compete fiercely against each other. But I think events are very like restaurants. I mean, there can be like chefs tend to be quite good friends with each other because you can go to multiple restaurants in a year. You can go to multiple restaurants in a week. Heck, you can eat, you can go to two restaurants in a day. It's not a mutually exclusive um. It's not a mutually exclusive uh, um product. So I think there's a lot more of a sense of community amongst people that organize events, and they're always comparing notes and helping each other. So I'm you know I know a lot of people, and uh, I hope yeah you know, I just hope they all kind of um, pull through basically.
1: Yeah, great. Uh, we are less than a week uh, before the Web Summit uh, in Lisbon, the next one. Uh, so thank you so much for taking the time. really appreciate it. I'm sure you're very busy. Uh, this is going out on the Monday before. So in the evening, I hope I will see you at the opening ceremony and the reception thereafter.
0: Uh, have a good event and uh, best of luck with everything.
2: Likewise, Robin. Thank you so much, as
0: always. And this is it for today's episode. Thanks to Patty for joining the show. Thanks to Robin for recording this conversation and thanks to you for listening. If you are at Web Summit right now, come to say hi. Myself, Robin, and our news editor, Dan, are there mostly running around the enormous venue. So ping us on Twitter or elsewhere, you know, and let's have a chat. If you like our show, you can follow us right now wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if that place has a possibility to rate and review the show, please do that for us as well. Our audio engineer is designed by SoundPulse, that is sound-pulse.com. Your questions, suggestions, and opinions are very welcome. Please do send them to podcast at tech.eu. This was EU Podcast. I am Andrei Daler and I will talk to you again very soon. For now, take care and enjoy your week. Bye-bye.